breakfast puppies? This podcast contains adult language and content and is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to The Glitter Boys. Lately, I've been introducing a lot of new players to the Palladium rules system. Now, I've said this before, and it's going to keep happening. My game of choice in the Palladium rules system is Palladium Fantasy First Edition. The, the OG, the, the game that more or less, not really started at all, but it might as well have. It's probably my favorite fantasy role-playing game out there. I, I love the simplicity of the mechanics. I love that it is easily teachable. Something that I've encountered recently when teaching new players how to play is that explaining percentile skills to D&D graduates can be rough. Mm-hmm. Jacob, have, yeah. you, have you encountered this? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it really confuses me. Uh, I mean, I get why I have a different view on it, because I came up with so many percentile-based systems, Star Frontiers by DSR, uh, so many others, uh, Call of Cthulhu, like, the call of Cthulhu for days. All you know, if it's not your attributes, it's a percentile roll. Period. Unless you're rolling damage off a weapon, you know. There were so many games out there for so long that were percentile based, and that really tapered off with the rise of things like Vampire the Masquerade in that time frame, and things moved away from percentile. And so, folks whose gaming experience started later than mine don't have that baked in percentile makes sense sort of mentality in it. So it is a bit of a learning curve. One thing that I have found helps with not all players, but a good number of them today who come new to Palladium from other games, either in the old school Renaissance, the OSR scene, or who have had some experience with advanced Dungeons and Dragons, AD&D first edition and second edition. One thing I find very useful is relating it from the standpoint of Palladium Fantasy, first edition at least, was ultimately just a series of house rules for AD&D first edition. Yeah. Like, the expectations of AD&D play are all throughout the Palladium Fantasy system. Mm-hmm. When you look at the skills, they are just the thief skills from AD&D, but expanded to mm-hmm. all classes and all possible scopes of action. The stats are just renamed AD&D stats with a comeliness score, mm-hmm. at, which they added in, what, I think, un, uh, Unearth Arcana back in the day, maybe had that. Yeah, yep. And then with the, uh, you know, turning speed itself, combat movement into its own stat. So yep. it's it's... It's something that I did not often think about, Mm -hmm. but now that I've been explaining it to people, this is now coming back into my mind over and over again. This really just is AD&D, and that's not a bad thing. Nope, nope. I mean, I've always, I've not been able to find a source that backs me up on this, so I want to be very clear that I'm going off of 
a whole bunch of assumptions. But Advanced Dungeons and Dragons didn't really have a skill system unless it was something directly associated to your class. And there was no way to do it unless it was part of your class until Unearthed Arcana a little bit and definitely Oriental Adventures. Yeah. Oriental Adventures is the one where I recall Mm -hmm. first seeing the introduction of a very broad skill system and you know my bushi may not be the best fighter in the group but i can arrange flowers for days (laughs) yeah it was i I don't remember exactly which of the books but i want to say there's a quartet of books in that era that did that that i always i can never remember which came first and which did which first it was unearth arcana oriental adventures Dungeoneer Survival Guide and the Wilderness Survival Guide. And Dungeoneer Survival Guide and Wilderness Survival Guide came much later than the other two. Okay. And I think I was looking trying to look this up earlier and it led down a weird rabbit hole, but I think the order is Unearthed Arcana, Oriental Adventures, Dungeoneer Survival Guide, Wilderness Survival Guide. But there were books in between those two. So uh, between all of those four. So, you know, it was that's how the projection progression kind of went. Now, I'm not sure if this is just rumor, hearsay, unfounded, uh, or, or actual fact, but I, for years, I had been operating under the assumption that when Palladium Fantasy was first being put out, that one of the early ideas or options was to shop it to TSR. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure if that ever happened, if Kevin ever tried but if he if he did, I can definitely see the roots of the, of the of of this of like mm-hmm. of pushing the Palladium Fantasy concepts to TSR, saying, "Look, this is this is compatible with your games." And in fact, if you look at the Palladium Fantasy stuff, at least in the first edition, almost every book mm-hmm. of the first edition line or adventure, even the Monsters book, the compendiums of weapons and armors, the compendiums of castles and whatnot. All of them have text in it, either early on or somewhere in the nitty gritty of the system, saying this is compatible with any game you want to play it with kind right. of things. Like you can easily put this in anything. Yep. That was cool. You know, that that concept of I'm going to publish this, but I'm also not going to denigrate other games. And in fact, I'm going to make it approachable to other systems. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I, I really respect that. But on the other, also, I think it's further evidence of that AD&D route in right. place. Because at around the same time the Palladium Fantasy First Edition came out, we were at the tail end of that huge sprawling mess of publishers putting out products that were just reskinned D&D products. They changed the names of the stats, but the the math was still the same. You rolled things the same way. Mm-hmm. It was just D&D with anything copyrightable just, you know, filed off. And they very rarely, but they did occasionally put compatible with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And there were modules, there were rule supplements by all sorts of publishers of varying levels of quality. And it always felt like 
Palladium was more respectful from the well it was tapping from with that material. Well, yeah, and of course, once he started publishing it under his own name, and with mm-hmm. the, or, sorry, under his own company name and all of that, I think he, he was exceptionally respectful of that to the point that he's like, yeah, I need to protect my own as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, yeah, and that totally makes sense to me. Yeah. It's intellectual property, right? And and when Palladium Fantasy was being originally introduced, the legal matter of what was and what was not protectable ip for gaming products was still up in the air that only got settled in like 86 through 88 through a series of court cases which is very small tangent um is why rules for ip in the gaming role-playing space in particular work a little bit different under the law than most people assume due to some uh, established court rulings. And the folks at Palladium have always been very mindful of this. If you ever read the introduction to the uh, to Heroes Unlimited or something, they're very clear about how Superhero was a trademark of Marvel and DC that was shared and... and to my knowledge, that wasn't because they got any sort of cease and desist letter from the big boys. It was they they were proactive in respecting other people's IP and demanding their own IP be respected. Yeah. Well, we can trace that back to like Nightbane. Well, oh. We can see Nightbane as another example. Of yeah. That. Like it came out and Todd McFarlane's like, hey, man, don't do that. And Kate's like, oh, OK. OK, we got, we're good. We're good. Yep. And quickly yep. changed it. Yep. Yeah, change it so quickly that I barely managed to get a copy of the original book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before the the next wave of them came out, and they all had the new name. Mm-hmm. So the the roots of it are, are clearly an AD and D thing. And when I explain this to people, I see a bit more understanding in their eyes. If they've come from something like AD and D or the OSR, like games like Osric or Old School Essentials or some of the advanced clones or the Microlites, they understand, oh, okay, that's how the skills work. Because if you're coming from 5th edition D&D or, or even just 3rd edition, if, if all you've played is 3rd, 4th, and or 5th edition or Pathfinder, you're probably only used to the roll high you know, uh, roll a D20 with endless amounts of modifiers. Yep. The sky's the limit. Yeah, Fifth Ed supposedly reigned that in, but whatever. <laughs> they did for, like, the publishing of the original book and then, like, every edition of Dungeons & Dragons and most games, to be quite fair, started pushing the envelope with every book that came out after. Yeah. When it comes to skills, however, the seeing it as a roll low mm-hmm. and there is a set limit, of what I can roll Mm -hmm. that is often very puzzling to people. And I find that explaining it, Hey, you know, think of AD and D. If you can understand AD and D, if you can sit down and read the advanced dungeons and dragons players handbook and understand how to play that game. First off, you're a better man than I. And second, if you can do that, then you understand how palladium works. Just add two more stats. There's no penalties for low stats and all classes get skills. There you go. 
And if you're one of those weirdos who ever managed to successfully run flying combat in the geometric equations you had to run for first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, first of all, I I shake your hand and oh my God. But pivoting slightly on this, one of the things that is I that attracted me to the Palladium Fantasy system back in the day was the fact there were all of these skills. It it made characters feel more rounded because there were all of these skills that you could choose from. So you felt more like you were inhabiting the world yeah. you were in, mechanically speaking. And it wasn't all just on role playing and it gave other options for make or break moments. Mm-hmm. Like uh, suddenly it becomes very important that you can cook a good meal and impress the leader of the resistance group. You're trying to get on side to oppose the, you know, evil warlord down the road. Got me thinking. And, you know, one idea leapt to another leapt to another leapt to another and i followed that trail of thought down this leapfrog to something bringing it back to this, the whole the roots i remember a a trapping of rpgs from the 80s and 90s and somewhat still in the early 2000s i haven't seen it as much if at all since and that was advertise describing your product on the back of the book in a way of unstated comparison mm-hmm. so D would you know like this is the game of dungeons and dragons go forth and whatever and any other game that would come out around the same time would be like this game has seven races seven races 22 character classes and so on Reading directly from the back of the Butts edition of Rifts that I have sitting right next to me, nearly 30 character classes, cyborgs, juicers, dragons, crazies, cyber knights, psy stalkers, line walkers, and more. Super science and high technology, bionics, cyber, cybernetics, power armor, and mega damage weapons. You know, um, it's, it is saying what we have that the others don't yeah. without doing the direct comparison. So yeah, Palladium does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> it literally. <laughs> although, although if you if you look back, especially at the late '80s, early '90s, when market marketing flax like that were starting to move into the RPG space, you do see that on the back of some books. I don't recall ever seeing it on the back of a Palladium product, to their credit. But yeah, it, it there is that implied we have what the others don't which yeah. feels a bit better than the nindo uh, you know sega has but yeah. nintendo don't yeah almost all of their books especially the main books the the main rule books of any of their systems since then have had that unstated comparison but they never actually come out and say mm-hmm. we're better than the other system because or yeah. yeah and so i've always appreciated that but that right there that gamut of products out on the shelves in the 80s and 90s that all had that text again they were all written with the assumption that the reader had read ad and d yeah 
because AD&D has X number of races and X number of classes and X skills. And then their, you know, their game would be like, well, we have 314 skills or something. Well, I mean, it wasn't until pretty much the late 90s you started, other than in a very few, very small reservoirs of very specific games, it was hard to run into a role player that had not cut their teeth to some degree on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. It, it was, and to a certain extent still is, the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Although they're they're doing their best to lose that title. So, By, I mean, yeah. And into the early 2000s, we were seeing the end of the first decade of the rise of things like White Wolf bringing mm-hmm. more, <laughs> arguably, more narrative focus. Even though White Wolf, I attest, is a ridiculously crunchy system that just managed to market itself as a non-crunchy one with its colorful words on the back, they did something that other games didn't. Instead of having those huge, you know, swaths of what our game has, we have, you know, 17 character classes, we have 514 skills, we have 33 monsters, we have this and that, they would just have a block of pros mm-hmm. and that's it. Or <laughs> in some cases, literally two sentences. Yeah. It, no, it very much true. And to a certain extent, I see Palladium Fantasy being, it it certainly wasn't the only one that tried to do it at the time, but it's definitely the one that did it the most successful and definitely for the longest. Mm -hmm. It was answering the problem that AD&D left on the table and never really addressed. When they started introducing skills to AD&D, it was still usually only skills that were with the exception of Oriental Adventures, with the where, where being able to do poetry and flower arranging were proficiencies. They're hardcore, too. Then they're hardcore, too. Um, <laughs> generally, all the skills were, like, directly linked to being an adventurer or um, expanding your wealth-earning capacity. Yeah, there was... I, I believe that my first exposure to skills in AD&D... No, it wasn't even AD&D. My first exposure to skills in D&D was when I got my hands on the Rules Cyclopedia. And the Rules Cyclopedia had the proficiencies, as they called them. Non-weapon... No, they just had proficiencies. Or was it non-weapon proficiencies? I believe it was just proficiencies. Yeah, and then by the time second edition came around, they had incorporated the Mm -hmm. not they called them NWPs Mm -hmm. as a mainstay. But and still, yeah, it was largely things that are focused around adventuring or making money. Yeah. And and that's partially because with AD and D, the the box you had the AD and D line and then you had the Dungeons and Dragons line that sort of predated it but ran side by side with yeah, it yeah and as the series of boxes from basic expert i can't remember the green box to save my soul and then black master and then immortals mm-hmm. came out challenge challenge okay yeah they they added new things with each box and so when you got to and because it was running parallel with ad and d there was some crossover from what they pulled from AD&D and put it in the D&D box yeah. series. And that's where you didn't see those proficiencies show up in D&D until either the green box or the black box. So yeah. you, you got far down the road before that happened. And 
even still, the skills and proficiencies in Dungeons and Dragons were more limited than Palladiums yeah. because your character only got a handful. Yeah. You got like four. And if your knowledge, maybe if your intelligence was higher and your GM used the optional rule that gave you a number of additional skills equal to your bonus languages, then you might start with more skills. And you got another like one skill every four levels or something. And weapon proficiencies in the system that finally started bringing those around, you got maybe <laughs> one or two things that you could use. What I, Palladium again, was doing that comparative structure. Like, yeah, see that system over there? That system only lets you have five skills. We've got a million. <laughs> you could only use one weapon. We can do it. You can use any in this. And plus, guess what? Your priests can stab things too, if they want to. The other thing is, is that Palladium also intentionally or not, but I, I, I tend to think intentionally, pulled skills that AD&D gate-locked behind certain classes that didn't make sense out of a class and made it available to everybody. The only advanced Dungeons & Dragons character class that has the ability to read and decipher heraldry is the cavalier <laughs> what is our favorite skill from first edition palladium fantasy heraldry just about anybody can get it it's actually one of those things that anybody kicking around in a medieval world would have at least passing familiarity with just because you're in a pre-literate society so symbology is super important and there are lots of skills in palladium you actually kind of sort of find, even if you didn't have to mechanically roll from them, roll for them under Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, you could, they were pulled out of being limited by what class you chose. And while some classes may automatically gain those skills, many people had the option to pick them up and create a well rounded character. You know, uh, you could make a fighter who's also a sailor in mm -hmm. their Palladium. Instead of the very, very weird character classing stuff that Advanced Dungeons and Dragons did to create a entire separate class that was basically the Marine and, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. With, <laughs> amusingly enough, in preparing for the first Ed game that just started this weekend, the heraldry skill that we constantly joke about, thanks to Hammercrawl and our good friend Kylie, the heraldry skill is also the most complicated skill in all of Palladium Fantasy First Edition. <laughs> Many of the skills are, most of the skills in the system have a single percentage mm -hmm. of base ability. Some skills in the system have two. Like this, the first percentage lets you do this, and the second percentage lets you do this. Heraldry is the only skill in all of First Edition that has three base percentages. I only know this because I've been building a spreadsheet to calculate characters. <laughs> They're like, oh, this bastard. <laughs> I had to be the one <laughs> exception to the rule. <laughs> and yeah, anybody can take it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. No, and, and really, that's the strength of Palladium. It was building on one of the most successful gaming systems of all times. Mm -hmm. And expanding on what it had to offer and making itself its own thing. Yeah. It was more than trying to ride the coattails of the industry leader. It was 
making its own living, breathing thing that's been successful for how many years now? 2023 is the 40th anniversary of the Palladium Fantasy role-playing game. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I ended up getting that special edition hardback. It turns out it's not the super, super special edition. They're still printing it. So that's that's good, actually. That is a good thing. At first, I was like, oh, I wanted a limited edition. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay that it's not limited edition because that means it is more accessible and more people now can buy a beautiful, beautiful book Mm -hmm. that is using 40-year-old rules Mm -hmm. of a completely playable game today. So I'd like to wrap this up with a statement that I've said before. That is, if you can understand AD&D, if you as a player or a game master can understand Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 1st Edition or 2nd Edition, if you can understand either of those games, Palladium is not hard to do. So many people I see online talk about how the Rifts and the Palladium rule system is horrible. And oftentimes I will later see those same people talking about how AD&D and whatever is one of their favorite games is approachable and anybody can play it. I'm like, they're the same. They're almost the same damn game. Mm-hmm. In fact, <laughs> I would argue that Palladium is in many ways simpler than AD&D because AD&D has those, that huge table of all those stupid derived stats, like a single stat just for bending bars and lifting gains. Yep. Like, really? That's not simple. That's yeah. <laughs> a yep. single stat just for opening doors. Yep. Like that's it. But, but it's based off your strength and yeah. You, know, you you write it down once and you forget it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do understand somewhat that feeling. Yeah. Where because things are more in flux with palladium, where as you level think more things change and that can be daunting. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not understanding how the rules work and how the skills work isn't that hard it's not so i challenge anybody who is listening to this on the off on the off chance that somebody is listening to this and doesn't know the palladium system and you've made it this far first off thank you god bless you but i challenge you if you are inclined to appreciate advanced dungeons and dragons and you don't understand Palladium, find a copy of the first edition rules. You can get the PDF from drive through It's still out there. It's a, it's a fantastic PDF. Or you can order the new special edition hardback, which is the beautiful book with glossy paper. If you get a copy of that, I recommend sitting at it and in your mind thinking, this was written in an era where people knew what AD&D was and how it worked. Right. And with that in your mind, read the book. And my tip is, especially if you started with Dungeons and Dragons post third edition, start thinking about skills as feats. And I found more than a couple people who, oh, this skill selection is like me selecting feats. It is. And and tailoring the character for what I want this specific character to be by the skills I choose. It's just I'm rolling for success on the feat. Man, that's that's true. I didn't think about that, but yeah, uh, Palladium skills have a lot more common with D and D third edition feats than D and D third edition skills. Yeah, same applies to Pathfinder. So if you're coming from Pathfinder, mm-hmm. think don't think of the skills as skills; think of them as feats, because they give you a, a wide variety of mechanical ability. Each one of them. Cough, yeah. cough, boxing. Cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, physical skills are definitely feats. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but even weapon proficiencies. Like, yeah. Yeah, they are feats because they advance or they get better. Yeah. yeah. Instead of selecting an X feat, the feat automatically scales itself. Yeah. Words of wisdom, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, again, Jacob isn't joining us because uh, Matthew has been out. Uh, you listen to the last episode and talk about the trials and tribulations of being an adult and scheduling, dealing with sickness and dealing with COVID and dealing with all of that. So, uh, you know, finding time where we can. Thank you. Uh, Thank you again, Jacob, for joining. Always. And we got a few more coming. Starships, magic, mystic martial arts, romance. All of these can be found in A Cloak of Blades by Isaac Sher. You might have heard my name before. I've done a lot of voiceover work for Breakfast Puppies. And I've recently released my first novel. It's available on Amazon as an ebook and paperback. And you can get it for free if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription. I do hope you'll support my work as you're supporting Breakfast Puppies. And it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Have a good one. You've been listening to The Glitter Boys, a Palladium Books fan podcast. Glitter Boys, Rifts, the Megaverse, and all other such topics are the property of Kevin Sambita and Palladium Books. Please buy all their stuff and help keep them in print and making more games. You can order directly at palladiumbooks.com, and their entire catalog is available digitally at DriveThruRPG as well. Our opening music is 8-Bit Bass and Lead by Furby Guy from freesound.org. This closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross, available at freemusicarchive.org. All sound effects used are self-made or acquired via Creative Commons Zero License. If you like what you have heard, find us on Twitter and Facebook as The Glitter Boys. That's B-O-I-S. And check us out online at breakfastpuppies.com slash glitterboys. And also join us on the Breakfast Puppies Network Discord at breakfastpuppies.com slash discord. And if you want to help us out, please spread the word and help us build a community. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. 